I'm going to take about probably 10 minutes. This is going to be a, just an introduction of what, where we're going, so you'll know as a history of a church what we're doing. And uh, it's kind of an extra sermon. Uh, you're not getting paid for it, but you have to sit through it, so it's okay. Let me give you a little history. Our campuses, you remember back, were closed, as all churches were, uh, due to the virus. And God gave us wisdom. We had never, no church in America had ever closed like this. There's nobody here. But we began praying, okay, God, what in the world do you want us to do? And we had an amazing production team that had the wisdom so we could do live video. And we're doing that every weekend and during the week as well. Uh, by the way, would you give them a hand, all those people that are at home as well? You guys don't watch it, but with the people watching online, YouTube and Facebook, we have about two to 3,000 people every weekend watching the services from all over. So God says, go ahead, try to disrupt the church. Watch this. And he's been blessing. And I want to thank all of you because you've been faithful and faithful and faithful to watch all the time. Thank you, guys at home. Wonderful. Now, then when we had that solved, we began praying. What are we going to do about reopening our campuses? Now, you, you know this. There's many states that will not allow churches to even open, period. If you're in California, David Jeremiah, huge church. Not open. They'll do some things in a parking lot. Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, the head where we all started with. Nope. Open, closed, boom. Let's say we have uh, an ability to open. Could I hear amen right there? So what do we do now? How do we do this? And you remember when we did this, God, we don't know when or how. We want to make it safe for the people. So we just prayed and prayed and prayed. And the first step that God told us to do was social distancing. Now, we heard that, of course, from CDC, but we did that in the church, and our guest services people have done an incredible job to keep you safe at our campuses. Unbelievable. All the volunteers, every service, we clean everything down. When eventually we get the kids back, those rooms will be sprayed. All of that's happening, so you guys have done great. By the way, yesterday we baptized more than 60 people from our campuses in the ocean. And you know what we practice before we baptize them on land? Social distancing. Exactly. That's what we do. Now, recently, we decided, okay, something's wrong. How many remember the days you'd look in the morning, Brevard County, how many new cases? How many remember when it was two, three, four? How many remember when you used to watch that? Okay. Now, what do we see? Almost every day, it's over 100 more. So that tells us there's a problem. And we don't have the solution to all that. More testing, of course, but all kinds of things. So we begin praying, God, what do you want us to do? And so we went back and asked his wisdom. And the elders, all the elders and the leadership said, here's what phase two should probably be. And I'll show you how God confirmed that to us. Our second step, and I'll go through that in a moment, will be that face mask will be required for the church staff and all the people that come 
to our services here in our campuses. Now, that's a big step, but that's not new. How do I know that God spoke that to us? And 100% of the elders and leadership said, yes. And I'll go through that with you in a moment. Last week, on Wednesday, just a few days ago on Wednesday, I got up in the morning and read an article from CDC. And it said this. Basically, I want to read it to you. If I can find it. <laughs> um, basically, they said this. If we would put our masks on, this is what the CDC said. If you'll distance and people will wear their masks when they're around people, not when you're walking in your neighborhood, or what, but when you're wrong shopping and do all the things. Here's what they said. The coronavirus surge could be controlled in four to six weeks in the United States if we're disciplined about wearing masks. When I heard that, I went, wow, that's a pretty bold statement. So I went, okay, what are we going to do about that? That was Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday morning. I get up and have my devotions. And God directs me to, basically, the 23rd Psalm. And I'll get here and show you what that means. And when that happened, he just began to speak to me. Now, here's what I want you to, want you to see when I did that. Uh, the 23rd Psalm mentions two things. Jesus says, my rod and my staff are here to protect the sheep and to comfort the sheep. And I began thinking about that. And as I did that, I said, well, who are the sheep? Well, you're the sheep. I'm the shepherd, the little teeny shepherd. God's our shepherd. But he's required pastors and elders to protect and comfort his sheep. And I'm thinking, well, how do we do that, God? And it was like he said, did you read what CDC said yesterday? I said, okay, well, how do I apply that? Here's what happened. Well, social distancing. Have we already started that? Yes, we have. Absolutely. Well, what's the second thing? Well, on Thursday night, here's what we hear from West Melbourne. West Melbourne has put in the council, seven to nothing, that masks will be required shopping in many, many stores now. You know that. Uh, Target, Walmart, Sam's, you name it. Plenty of other cities have already done this. When you're out in business, you have to wear a mask. Why are they doing that? To reduce the number. Anybody here like to see the number go back to one or two or nothing? Of course we would. So that's what's happened. So when I begin to read that, I begin to understand this. I believe the rod is social distancing. And I believe the staff means to wear a mask when it's needed. Both of those things together does what? It protects the sheep and it comforts you. Now, those of you that are coming to the church right now, you, you know you wouldn't be here if you felt uncomfortable. You feel comfortable. Why? Number one, social distancing. And we're going to make it more comfortable. Why? Because I think that's as much as we can do at this point. So we're going to actually do that. And when you see that, you say, well, Pastor Mark, 
if people come to church, will they be required to wear a mask? Yes. That shouldn't be like, well, you're not going to tell me what to do. No, God's telling us what to do. And by the way, I'll tell you this, Linda and I are going to go on Monday to see our kids and our grandkids. I'll just be gone a week. Pastor Dave will teach next week. I need a little time off, to be very honest with you. And we're going to get on a plane. You know what happens when you get to the Orlando airport? You will not be entered in the airport unless you have a mask on. You know what happens on a plane? Every plane, you will be required to what? Wear a mask. Now, why are they doing that? Well, because they're angry at you. No, they're doing that to do what? Protect you. Let me say this to you because people don't get this. When you and I wear a mask, it's not just for us. It is for us to protect us. But it's also to protect other people. Did you get it? It's both. How many of you remember? You know, I have a medical background forever. And, you know, when I would work in the, it was all hospital from pharmacy. I worked in the hospitals everywhere. And you'd go to a room, isolation, do not enter. Well, if you entered and you were a doctor, what did you have to put on? A whole gown and what else? A mask. This is not new. Do you know there was social distancing in the Bible? Leprosy. Get away, get away, unclean, unclean. This is not new. And so when you see this, this isn't something bad. This is something good. Is it different? Yes, it's different. I feel like the Lone Ranger when I'm out shopping, you know, with the mask on. But that's okay. Now, what would be the third step? Well, our third step will be we're working, and only God knows the timing, how to get all of our kids back to church. That's our third step. So that we can worship together, raise them. The guys are doing a great job now. We're doing videos. We're doing all those things. So it's not something we're going to do tomorrow morning, but all of those things are there. So I just want to say to you, starting, basically, uh, uh, next weekend, 25th, 26th, you will be required to wear a mask. Now, we have masks to give you if you come and don't have one. We'll be glad to do that because we're here to protect you. Can I say this as your shepherd? One day, all the elders and pastors are going to answer to God. Did you protect my sheep? Did you comfort my sheep? Well, I want to say yes, because you guys are special to us. We love every single one. I can't wait to see you. I, I think I see your faces, many of you, and I haven't seen it forever because you're home watching. Praise the Lord. Good. But don't you miss being with people? That you know and love and the names and stuff? Yeah. Well, that's where we're going to. I don't know how it will end. But from right now, we've got a great way to go. You guys watching online, no, you don't have a wear mask next to your wife in your house. Relax. But when you go out, you're going to have to when you go in a store. If you say to a store that's required now by West Melbourne and other cities, there's, West Melbourne isn't the only one. Many cities around us. Many cities around us have all that. California, you step outside and you're in any area where there's people, you will wear a mask or you'll be arrested. I mean, this is crazy. But it just spreads all over the place with more people. So I just want to say to you, we're in 100% unity. And we know this is what God wants. He directed us. Those three things that happened, CDC, me reading Psalm 23 about the rod and the staff that comforts us and protects us, 
I'm the shepherd of one of all the other pastors and, of course, the elders. You're the sheep. You matter to us. We love you. So please, thank you for being kind and thank you for understanding. And no, we're not trying to be legalistic. We're trying to follow the shepherd because he wants you. He wants all of us safe. Amen? Amen. So, again, you don't have to worry about it now. And, of course, when we get going, uh, we just want to make sure all of this is just done in the will of God. And would you help me just to keep praying that over time, God will give us the wisdom about how to handle the kids. Many of you have children. Look what school. School doesn't know what to do. In the nation, we have all kinds of things that schools are going to do. You know why? Because, and they're working hard at it. I'm not making fun of anybody with those kind of rules and regulations. But I tell you what, we have somebody, and you're going to see it today, that's wiser than man. His name is God. And he knows how to take care of his church. This is why. Next weekend, we will start that. So don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. It's not going to change you. It's actually going to make more and more and more people desire to be at church. You that are watching, this isn't trying to say to you, you need to get back to church next weekend. No. Whenever God directs you, that's up to you. And God will give you a peace and comfort. But if I look at these people now, and last night we had a great crowd too. Nobody's out there going, oh, i got to get out of this church in a minute. No. God's right here. His presence is here. And we're doing what he told us to do. This is just the next step. Could I hear an amen from at least two or three people? Okay, good. All right. Now, let's turn in our Bibles. Enough ser that, that was the sermon, actually. I'm going on vacation. I'll see you later. No, it isn't. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, if you will. By the way, if you have any questions, you can just call the office and we'll... By the way, the staff, when they're going to be now working... Uh, many of them are coming back, obviously. Uh, they'll, they'll be required while they're here to wear a mask as well, as well as our youth, our, our uh, harbor people, all of those kind of things. It will be the same everywhere. Now, in Acts chapter 12, and I'm going to be a little late. That's because of that announcement, so just hold on. I'll go fast, but not too fast. Since Acts chapter 2, what have we seen with the church? There was nobody. Then the upper room. And then it just expanded and expanded and expanded and expanded. And we went to 3,000 when Peter preached. Then we went to almost 10,000. And then we moved up to different cities. And all of a sudden, the church not just expanded in people, but it now added what? All the Gentiles, which were never there. So it was just blowing up like crazy. Now, when that happens, look at this next statement. The next thing you're going to see in this chapter is real opposition and persecution of the church. Take a look. Know that spiritual advances will be challenged by Satan, our enemy. Now, that applies to you and I individually. When things are really good and things are happening, you don't have to worry. But guess what? The enemy is going to come out to try to discourage you. Remember what Jesus says? He's baptized in water. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing, what happens, the Holy Spirit leads him to the wilderness. And who's there to try to get him defeated? Satan. So it's not just individual. It's corporate. It's corporate. Our, 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 our churches right now, Satan just loves to make fun. As you know, there's many governors in our United States that do not allow any church to open, period. 
Look at how blessed we are. But that's because of Satan. He knows what's going to happen. Now, watch what this looks like in this chapter. 12.1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Those of you watching on home, those in Vier and Sebastian, you've joined us as well. King Herod was Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, who ruled in those days when Jesus was alive on the earth. Now, this Herod was known for maintaining peace in Israel. That was his responsibility. And he loved the support from the Jews. Now, remember, this is all done in Jerusalem. And the Jews were two kinds of Jews. There were the Jews that hated Jesus. But then there were Jews that became followers of Jesus. And so he loved those people that hated Jesus because he hated Jesus. And when many of those people became followers of Jesus, he went back to the people that hated Jesus, the Jewish people. And he says, basically in his mind, how can I please you? How can I please you? Well, watch what happens. Verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, James was a part of the inner circle of Jesus. Remember? Peter, James, John. And yet we see here, he is the first apostle to be killed. Now, Stephen was already stoned to death, but Stephen wasn't an apostle. This is the first apostle. He is absolutely killed. Later in this chapter, you're going to see something that's very strange contrast. James is beheaded. Later, God makes a way for Peter, who is going to be in prison, to escape. Why was James killed? But when we get to this passage, Peter will not die until much, much later in his life. When I looked at this passage, I said, how in the world am I going to explain that? Do you know if you read the Bible, there'll be a lot of things you and I can't understand. One of Billy Graham's major standing when he opens, all those years he taught, he'd open like this. Some things in the Bible I just don't know. Well, that's a good thing to say. Here's what I want to say to you. We have lots of whys. In heaven, we'll finally get them, but many of those we will not understand. Here's what I want to say to you. When we come to an area where we don't have an answer, it's wise to go back to the facts that we know about God. The title this weekend is All-Knowing God is Our Way Maker. See, the Bible teaches that God is omniscient, all-knowing. He also teaches he's everywhere at the same time. That's why he's here in the campus here, and it's also all the homes that you guys are watching from, all our campuses around in Mayer and Sebastian. He's there, and he's all-powerful. So what does all-knowing mean? It means he has perfect knowledge, he has perfect wisdom, he has perfect understanding of everything. And you know this verse. God put it in there in the book of Isaiah so it would start to make sense to us. My thoughts, God speaking, are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
So what does God know here? I almost titled this teaching, God's Big Picture. You know, when you and I think about life, <clears throat> we sometimes need to go back to the big picture. I mean, earth, pilgrims to heaven. That's a big picture. But God knows our beginning from our end. Do you know your beginning to the end? You know your beginning. Do you know how it's going to end? No, none of us. Do you remember when we finished 2019? Many of us, what did we say after we finished 2019? You got up in 2020 and went, praise God, 2019 is over. Man, it's in the past. 20 is going to be fantastic. Whoops. Am I right? See, do you know what God knows what's around the corner? He's all-knowing. Sometimes we don't even know there's a corner coming. But we live in it today. God has the big picture. What do we have? A selfie of ourself. That's why I need an all-wise God to direct my life. So do you. Because he knows everything. We don't. But he has our best in line. Now, what about the death of James? Here's my answer to you. Only God knows. I'm not God. But I want to give you a little illustration. It could be that Jesus had a better life to give James. You say, Pastor Mark, it better be better. Your head is chopped off and you die. Well, Paul, the apostle, you know, he had a little glimpse of heaven. And he wrote this. See it on the overhead? You guys, watch. For to me, Paul says, living is for Christ. And dying is even better. Now, why is that? Because when he got that little glimpse of heaven, he understood this key. Heaven is better because it's a prepared place, a place of perfection for all believers. Anybody looking forward to a day when we don't have this crazy, crazy world? And we're in heaven where there's peace and joy and it's paradise. How about that? No more picketing. No more weird stuff. We'll be right there. So after James died instantly, he arrived where? Tell me. Why did he arrive in heaven? Because he's a believer. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now when he got there, here's what James said the first moment he got into heaven. He said, God, I have something to ask you. Now that I'm here, I want to go immediately back to earth. I like it there better than here. Please send me back to earth. How many of you think that's what James said? Of course not. El stupidos. He never would have said that. Would you say that? No, of course we miss people. And he never said that because he was in a what? A better place. And why? Well, because it was his time to go. And I'll explain that to you very simply. So can I say to you as Christians, all of us, when God is finished with us on earth, we're going to go to heaven. It's far better. Relax. It's his will for you. It doesn't... By the way, we're all going to die. Hello. 
and eventually you know where you're going to go. Here's the bottom line that I see with James and for all of us. God's will, his ways and thoughts are best for us. And you could write, if you're writing that down, you can add his timing as well. Now, watch what happens to Herod when he does this. Look at verse 3 and 4. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, which Jews? The Jews that hated Christians. He proceeded to seize Peter also. Now, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handed him over, and he was guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And they would take three hour times to the 24 hours. And the next morning, he was going to be murdered. Now, this is Peter's third time in jail. You know, he had kind of a frequent flyer thing in jail. But Herod knew that once an angel came and freed him. So what is he going to do? I'm going to guard him by four squads of four soldiers. They're going to work three hours each. And when they are doing this, he will never get out of jail. That's what he thinks. So what you see is Peter is in jail, and he has a guard here, and he has a guard here, and he's chained to them 24 hours. We don't know how many days he was there. And then at the entrance of the jail are guards right there. So there's four at a time to block him from going out. And, of course, he's in a prison. Not just the people, but the prison, the door and all that. Now, what happens here is Peter's thinking to himself, I'm done. He had heard, I'm sure, through the news that James was killed. I guess I'm next. I'm next. Well, the situation is hopeless. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, here's the battle. You see it already. A prison cell, four guards, two guards chained to Peter, two watching the whole thing, a gate outside the city versus a few Jewish believers from the church who are praying. Who will win that battle? Well, hold on. You already know who's going to win that battle. Now, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem knew that the only hope for Peter, now that James is done, was the power of prayer. What kind of praying are they making? They're not around Peter. Here's what they're doing. Notice, intercessory prayer is praying earnestly for the needs of others. We all do that. In spiritual warfare, it's not like Herod was doing. It's not like our world does with bombs and killings and, you know, nuclear. And all. That's not the way spiritual is. Look what Paul writes. 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. See, prayer is a spiritual weapon that defeats Satan and his power. Now, there's no question that God told us we should pray. Let me just read this. You'll see them. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give these are challenges for us. This is not a suggestion. Prayer is a big deal. He commands us to pray. And then in James, it says this. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Prayer is powerful and effective. 
So the church in Jerusalem is coming against Satan and Herod and all their ideas, and the primary weapon was prayer that God had designed. By the way, that's still true today. What did I pray a few moments ago to our campuses? God, find a solution to the virus that Satan has brought us. Do you think God can do that? Of course. Well, Pastor Mark, I'm not sure. Well, then you need to get your faith challenged. Nothing is impossible with God. He's all-knowing. Now, the church in Jerusalem was going to see the result. You'll see it in just a few moments. Now, here's verse 6. Put yourself where Peter is. He's in jail. He knows all the guards are there. He can't move. He knows he can't get out the door. He, we, he, he, we don't know how many days he's there. If, if that's you and you're trying to sleep, you're probably saying to one of the guards, would you get me an Ambien, please? I, I need a little sleeping pill to help me sleep. Don't laugh. No, I don't take Ambien. No, I have no trouble sleeping. <laughs> but what is Peter going to do? Look at this. This is powerful. This is funny. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the sentry stood guard at the entrance. Now, how can, be, how can he be sleeping knowing in a few hours, it's it? Well, I don't really know. I have two ideas. Number one, Peter had learned to trust God no matter what. Remember, he'd been freed before. So he doesn't, he, he just trusting God. God, if this is it, that's it, that's okay. He was trusting God. But remember, when Jesus restored Peter one day, Jesus said to Peter, eventually you will die, but you will die as an old man. And when you die, you will die stretched out on a cross. Not head coming off, stretched out on a cross. Now, Herod isn't going to do that. So when you see that, what does he know? He says, I remember Jesus giving me this promise. Yes, I'm going to die. But I'm going to die on a cross like him. And remember what Peter did at the end? He would not allow them to put him on a cross like Jesus. He was crucified upside down because he knew he wasn't worthy of what Jesus had done for him. So what is he saying in the jail? God's got the solution. Hey, I'm a pretty young man. I'm not ready to die yet. Exactly why he slept. It was not his time. And he remembered that. Why would God say that to him? Here's why. He could be at peace during that night. Now, how about you and me? We should not be in the prison of fear and anxiety. Some of you... Any of us, when we see all these deaths and we see all these things, we kind of panic. But here's a verse to remind you and me. Jesus said it. Guess who wrote it? Peter. Look at it. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
That's why the social distancing, that's why the mask, that's why our government is saying when you go to a store, you're going to go to Aldi, you're going to go to all these different places. When you go to a restaurant now, you'll have to wear a mask. When I fly, I got have to wear a mask. All those it's just to protect us. Don't be anxious. Cast your care on him. Now, here's one I really like, Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Let's just not be in the prison of fear and anxiety. God's got this thing, and he's going to protect us with his rod and his staff. Now, look at verse 7. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Whoa. What would you call that? That's supernatural. Notice, like Peter, God sees our trials with no way out. But he wants to make a way for us to be rescued. That's what I believe he's doing. He's taking these steps to get us back to a place of normality. Now, notice the supernatural. God's angel, there's immediately light in the prison, and the chains fell off. Now, verse 8, and the angel said to him, Put, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow the angel. Follow me, the angel told him. Now, why didn't the angel say, just close your eyes. I'll have you dressed in a second. Boom! And we're going to fly out of this prison. Why didn't he do that? Well, here's what I want to share with you. This applies to us in every area of life. God will do the supernatural things that only he can do. But Peter must do the things that only man can do. What? Obey. Now, verse 29. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. What the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he'd seen a vision. So he, this whole time he's thinking, am, am I sleeping? Or what, what is it? What kind of a vision is that? But he realizes in a moment that this angel is real. Look at verse 10. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate outside of the jail leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. You know, when I read that, that the big iron gate opened, I didn't know 2,000 years ago they had their gate opener for their subdivision, and the angels just got it and opened it. Uh, no, that wasn't what happened. What you just saw there, everything you've just seen at this point is not natural. It's supernatural. What kind of a God do we have? Come on, let's say it together. Our God is supernatural. Come on, our God is supernatural. Do you believe that? Of course. He's supernatural. And that's what's happening. You guys from our campuses, you guys watching on loan, remember, the guards didn't notice anything when they went out. How can that be? Maybe they got the ambient. I don't know. No. The iron gate opened by itself. That's supernatural. And what's God going to use? God is going to use prayer to make a way of escape for Peter. So now Peter's freed, and the angel goes right back to heaven. Now, here's something important. When God opens a door for us, he expects us to walk through it. Now, Peter isn't going to run, try to get to another city right at the moment. I'm out of here. I'm free. I don't want to be around anybody. No, 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 no. You're going to see in a moment. He's not panicked. 
He's going to the home where the people have been praying. See, when God opens a door, walk through the door. That's what we've been praying, the elders and leaders. I don't know if we're totally right or not, but the distancing and the mask and being common sense when we're at shopping, all of us, and town and all those kind of places. Look, when he opens the door, let's use it. Let's walk through and do it. And that was like the door was opened for me last week as he spoke to my heart. Now look at verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel, and he's rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish and people were anticipating. See, the Jewish people wanted to see Peter killed. He started the whole thing. Remember first sermon? Now he's not. So he'd been freed from prison supernaturally. He knew that God had answered the people who were praying for him. So can I just remind you of this very quickly? God loves to answer our prayers, but we have to pray. James says it like this. You do not have because you do not ask God. That's why this is the first time I ever publicly said, God, find a solution to the virus. I've never even thought about that in that way. So I just prayed for it today for all of us. Now look at verse 12. When this had dawned on him that he is totally free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So he goes to this home, and these people we know from Scripture and from Josephus, who was a historian, they had been praying night and day, all these people for Peter. They didn't know. They weren't anywhere near the jail. They didn't know what was happening. They just were praying night and day. God, make a way. Now, when you see that, God is going to make a way, and Peter is going to be free. Here's something you have to understand. Never underestimate the power of praying a praying church. Thank you. I know all of you have been praying for the church and the leaders and our people and our sheep and all the crazy sick people and the people that are, have gone to funerals and all of those things. We've been praying for We've all had people touched by this virus, and we've been interceding for them. Thank you. And continue to give, pray for the leaders of this church. We don't have wisdom. God has all the wisdom. We're just people. So pray for us. Thank you so much. Now, here's the funny part. By the way, does anybody think God has a sense of humor? If you don't think God has a sense of humor, just look around you. Look at those crazy masks. Look at those. No, I'm just making fun. God has a sense of humor. You know, none of us are alike here. You know that. Every single one of us are different. Every single one of us. He made it that way for a reason. <laughs> look at that funny person. They're going, yeah, yeah, look at you. So watch the funny. Even with this, it, it seems very difficult to be funny, but it is. Peter knocked on the outer entrance of the home, the private home. And a servant girl named Rhonda, Rhoda, excuse me, came to answer the door. And... When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so excited, she left him at the door and ran inside. And she says to all the people who are praying, Peter, is that the door? Now, when she does that, she interrupts their prayer meeting. And they're basically, stop praying. He's already, God's already answered. He's at the door. Well, look at verse 15. Look at these, the faith of these people. And all these people praying said this, you're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. Now, that's humorous. The people say to Rhoda, 
Quit interrupting us. We're praying. Oh, God, please release Peter. And where is Peter? He's at the door. But they don't believe it. Now, Peter kept knocking. Look at verse 6. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, no doubt Peter's, like, frustrated. He's just been supernaturally freed from the prison. But he can't get in the front door where people are praying. God, why don't you open the door? What's with these people? Well, he finally gets in there. Look at this. These believers had been praying 24-7. Hard. Really, for one thing. It wasn't multiple things. James was already gone. And they prayed hard for a miracle, but when it happened, they couldn't believe it. Now, when I read that, you will think this is strange. I was encouraged. Have you ever found yourself that when you pray, we just kind of go through the motions sometime, and we never mix it with faith? We just say words. Now, don't look at me like, Pastor Mark, what kind of a pastor are you? I'm just like you. Quite often, we just say prayers, and we don't mix it with any faith. We just give the prayer. Now, here's a picture of God's grace. God doesn't do anything. He honors very little faith in this particular place. See, when you see this, here's what John says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, sometimes we don't know the will of God. We would think the will of God would be to free James, but it wasn't. But it was for Peter. Can I say this? There's lots of things we know that the will of God is, so we should pray for it. What do I mean? People that aren't saved yet, relatives, friends, neighbors, never came to Christ. What is the will of God for people who have never come to Christ? Is it his will that they become Christians? You're a little quiet out there. Is it his will that he becomes Christians? Yeah. How do you know that? Well, I think I've just heard that somewhere. No, the Bible says he, he wants how many to perish? Zero. So when you and I walk next to our neighbors and they're not Christians, can I pray with confidence that God will speak to their heart? Now, they have to do their part by opening up. Can I pray with faith? Hello, can I pray with faith? Yes, I can, because that's the will of God. Again, they have to. What I pray for all the time is that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes that they need Jesus. How about a people that used to follow God and they walked away, like the prodigal son? Is it God's will for them to come home? Absolutely it is. So we can pray that way. Now, look what happened. Faith is the complete confidence that God will do what he promised. When we pray, all of us need to mix our prayers with faith. That challenged me. Now, verse 17. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. You know what happened? When he's in there, it's like a party now. They're going, yay, Peter's here, it's great. The windows are open, everybody's going. And Peter's saying, will you shut up here? It'll be here in a minute, and I'll be right back in the crazy jail. And so they quieted down because he knew they were looking for him. The guards would be looking for him, and here he is. Now, what happens? Well, look at 17. Tell James, this is a different James, the brother of Jesus, and the brothers about this. 
He said, then he left for another place. We don't know exactly. Luke doesn't tell us where he went. But we do know he was distancing himself from Herod and the danger. He was wise. He wasn't stupid. And second thing, we know that later he'll be a little bit in the book of Acts. But really, he does write two books in the Bible. But later, basically, you're going to see Peter knows that Paul, in the book of Acts now, we've been mostly Peter, and now you're going to see in a week or so, and all of a sudden, he leaves and does other ministry, other ministry, and Paul comes in. This is where we find the end of the book of Acts. It's all about Paul. So, when the believers in Jerusalem heard that God had supernaturally freed Peter from prison, when you're praying for something and God answers the prayer, does it increase your confidence to pray. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, it does. Here's what I wrote. Answers to prayer increase our confidence and our faith in God. Now, you know how I do that? I've done that for a long time. One of the most exciting ways to build our faith is to keep a prayer journal. A prayer journal. That's what I do. I just have a very simple thing on my iPad, and I write when God does things in my life or prays for other people, and they're ministered, and they're healed. And uh, I, I write down when I had difficult times physically, you guys, marriages, all kind of things in our lives. And when you can go back to those journals, what does that do? It's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You guys don't remember because I didn't talk about it a lot. When I was really sick a few years ago, five or six years ago, do you know I got down to 116 pounds? I couldn't hardly stand. Some of you saw me. And look at me now. I'm stronger than I've ever been, ever, because of God. Now, it just wasn't my time. Some of you say, well, I wish it had been your time. Cut it out. <laughs> Cut it out, would you? I'm serious. When you go to that journal and you look at it, you're not going to praise yourself. You're going to praise God. And you know who else you're going to pray? Thank you for all the people that prayed for me. And I want to thank you. I had all kinds of people email me. Pastor Mark, we're praying for you. Thank you. I'm not special. I'm just like you. We all have these things. But prayer is the answer. Now, if you're here today in any kind of a hopeless situation, marriage, financial, physical situations that bring fear, take them to prayer. Our God, our all-knowing God is a way maker. He can help you find a way out just like we saw today. Now, I want to just say this quickly, and we'll do a quick altar call, and then we'll be done. But don't leave, because we're going to have a great song at the end. Today we saw, when James was killed, immediately he went to heaven. Now, why did James, when, he was, when his head was chopped off, why did he go immediately to heaven? Because one day, remember, he was an apostle. He would rock with Jesus. He would hear the term, follow me. But he heard a teaching. That was super powerful. Just a simple statement from Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And nobody comes to the Father. Nobody comes to heaven except through Jesus. So one day, James repented of his sins, accepted Jesus Christ by faith in his personal life, and he became a follower of Jesus. 
And that scripture that is so true in the book of 2 Corinthians, absent from the body, whoop, present with the Lord. That's why he went to heaven. Now, I'm going to give many of you an opportunity today to have your sins forgiven that are watching or here in the service and to know that when you die, you will spend eternity in heaven. God's guarantee for James is the same one for you. You have to repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you. Some of you, prodigal sons or daughters, you used to follow God. You've walked away. Today is the day to come back. He's waiting for you. You know you're not listening to this teaching by accident. It's God speaking to your heart. So I want to challenge you. You need to make a recommitment today. And here's how we're going to do that. In a moment, I'm going to simply pray a simple prayer for you. And here's why I know. There's a promise. I'll just say it to you. I won't read the verse today because we're going long. But God says this. If you confess Jesus and believe in your heart that he died, and basically he was raised from the dead, if you'll believe it, you will be saved. Guaranteed from God. Guaranteed from God. Now, I want everybody, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to know when you, when you go to heaven, you'll be just like James. Whoop, right to heaven. Whenever it is, because we're all going to die. Quietly repeat this prayer. Let's everybody put your heads down now at home, same way. And not just pray for yourself, but pray for people who are listening right now. There's always a spiritual battle. Well, I'll wait to another day. No, 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 no. Today's the day of salvation. Pray for them, if you will. Intercessory prayer. Now, if that's you that's praying, pray this with me. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. Right now, I turn from my sins and I choose to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me and forgiving all my sins. Today, I accept and receive the gift of salvation. And I look forward to a life of following Jesus Christ with purpose and hope. 